We're going to have our main Bible reading now, which is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18, and can be found on page 985 of the Church Bibles. Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. It says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Do keep that text open. We'll be looking at that together. Uh, A few things before we um, go any further is to say there's an outline of where we're going in the service sheet, so do make use of that. as you see fit, and at the end of the uh, uh, sermon, there will be an opportunity to ask any questions or make any comments. So I won't be talking about every verse in this section, so if there's a verse you want to think more about or explore an implication of what we're looking at, mention it now so you can be thinking ahead. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good, and rightly sovereign over us. And therefore, we pray that in our response to your word, that we would vindicate who you are by listening, trusting, and obeying. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do we pray? Let's explore some possible answers. One answer is to inform God what we need so that he knows what to give us. 
It's the idea that God's up there, we're down here, and so God's not aware of our situation and our needs. Prayer, then, is informing God of what's going on in our lives and how he can help. Another idea is that prayer is about unlocking the blessings of heaven. God's waiting in heaven, ready to act. And Christians have the power and authority to call him to act. It only remains for them to pray, to name it and claim it. Another answer is along the lines that we're to pray because of its therapeutic effects. In this case, the purpose of prayer is to change us and bring a sense of healing and wholeness. And then, of course, still for others, the answer is, well, actually, there is no point to prayer. Why would God be interested in what we've got to say? Now, there's a lot going on in our passage in Colossians that we're looking at this morning. But one thread that runs through concerns the idea of prayer. There is a command to pray. There is a prayer request. And then there is a prayer report. And these are valuable insights as to how the Apostle Paul thought about prayer and how we're to think about why we pray. So uh, let's take a look together. The assumption of the New Testament is that Christians will pray. So if you take a look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul exhorts his readers to continue to be constant in prayer. His concern is that they remain faithful in prayer with the resolve not to give up or grow weary. But what's intriguing here is this idea of being watchful in prayer. What are they to be watching for, exactly? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of meeting up with somebody for a coffee, and at the end you turn to God in prayer, and it occurs to you that if you close your eyes when you pray, someone, while they might nick your phone or take you back, and so, well, you decide to pray with one eye open. Is that what Paul's watchfulness is alerting us to? Although there's no mention of thieves in the text. The idea of being watchful takes us back to what Paul wrote earlier in his letter, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Have a look with me. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you recall, Paul speaks here about certain events in the life of Jesus his death, that he's now raised and seated at the right hand of God, and that he will return in glory. Okay? 
and that corresponding to those events are events that have happened or will happen to the Christian. That the Christian has died with Christ, the Christian has been raised with Christ, and that the Christian will appear in glory when Christ appears in glory. There's a program, and that program is to inform our prayers. That is to say that the reality of who we now are and what we will one day be not only determines our relationships now in terms of putting off the old self and putting on the new self that we looked at a few weeks ago, but it's also to determine what we ask from God. Now, this is quite different from the idea that prayer is telling God what we need because he's up in heaven and isn't aware of what's going on down here. We don't pray to inform God of our needs. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask. Rather, it's about being informed about who God is and what he is doing in the world and praying in light of this. Our prayers are to be informed by the times. In particular, the return of Christ and as appearing in glory with him. It's our knowledge of God and his son and not God's lack of knowledge of us that informs our prayers. Christian prayers are contoured by what God is doing in the world. And this was certainly true for Paul. For in verses 3 to 4, Paul in this prayer for himself and his own ministry. Chapter 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul knew in a very explicit way his purpose and the plan of God. Paul had been called by the ascended Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles, an account of which is recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. And indeed, Paul's already referred to this earlier in his letter in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 and following. Paul had a unique role in redemptive history. God's purpose for Paul had been published. Paul had been called by the ascended Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles. In verses 3 and 4, Paul asks for prayer. What then is Paul's prayer request? That he would do that which is purposed for him to do. Here we find Paul praying, or enlisting prayer for, the very thing that God has called him to do, to proclaim the mystery of Christ. What's so striking is that Paul asks for prayer to do what he has been called to do. Now, this is very illuminating. This is not Paul praying, God, I'm in prison, things aren't going well down here, you need to get me out of this. Notice that Paul isn't praying for an open door of the jail, but for an open door for the word, 
verse 3. In the plans of God, Paul can discharge his role as the apostle to the Gentiles, even in prison. Nor is Paul enlisting the support of others, as if the more people who pray, the better the chance of God responding. I mean, that would be to presuppose that God is unwilling and needs to be petitioned about his own plan. And when you stop and think about it, was Paul ever not going to be the apostle to the Gentiles? I mean, it's unthinkable that God's purpose will be thwarted, that Paul would somehow end up locked up in isolation, unable to make the mystery of Christ known, and the whole plan of God just fizzles out. We're not expecting Paul to fail. The plan's been published. God can't be thwarted. What we've got here is that it is precisely because he knows that is what he prays. And this is something to be shared. That's why he enlists the support of others. The purposes of God are to be shared by the people of God. It's the great privilege of the Christian to not only have made known to them the plans of God, but to participate in them. We now seek what God is seeking. We share the plan of heaven. Paul's prayer request then comes as a sharing the purpose of God in their prayers for him. There's one more prayer for us to look at in this section. The prayer of Epaphras in verse 12. Have a look. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured (coughs) in all the will of God. We met Epaphras back in Colossians chapter 1 verse 7. He was the one from whom the Colossians learned the truth of the gospel. And he knew the situation that the Colossians were facing and that threat of false teaching. And so Paul tells the Colossians of Epaphras' love and concern for them and that he's constantly in prayer for them. The content of the prayer is that the Colossian Christians will stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That is, in the threat of the false teaching they were facing, they will remain faithful and persevere, confident in the knowledge of God. Now, we've seen this idea before in Colossians. So if you look back at chapter 1, verse 28, it was there, if you recall, Paul told us the goal of his ministry. So 128, him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that this goal is the same as the goal of God's plan of salvation we read of in verse 21 of chapter 1. So 121, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above approach before him. Epaphras, knowing the plan of God for his people, prays to that effect. Paul has published God's plan for the world. Epaphras prays it. He asks God for that which God has promised. He shares the concern of God's purpose for his people, that they would persevere in the will of God, so that when Christ appears, they also will appear with him in glory. You really can't get any further from the idea of prayer as letting God know up there what is going on down here. We began by asking, why do we pray? And it has been interesting to explore how people's view of prayer can be quite different from the Bible's view of prayer. For these insights at the end of this letter, show us how prayer is tied to knowing God and his plan for the world. So what we see is we learn to pray as we grow in knowledge of his will. As we learn that, as we, learn that we have died with Christ and been raised with Christ and will appear with him in glory when he returns, that we share that eternal perspective that will shape our priorities and prayers. As we learn that his goal for his people is that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, that then becomes our concern and prayer for one another. And as we learn that God's plan is now the proclamation of the gospel to all the nations of the world, that we share in that plan and seek the advance of the gospel where we are. And we have the privilege to pray to that end. So let's be praying for the students at Bradford University and the wonderful opportunities that they're having there at the moment. Last Tuesday, they ran out of Bibles. Let's be praying for the quiz night a week Wednesday, for the opportunity for people to come and hear the message of this gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to lose this idea that prayer is letting you know up there uh, what we need down here. Help us rather to see that we learn to pray as we get to know you better and your plan for the world. And pray increasingly as we do know you and your purpose for us and for this city, that we would indeed participate uh, in the privilege of asking you that which you have purposed. And we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, feel free to take a moment and then we'll um, open it up to any questions or comments you might have. So now is your opportunity.
Susie. Oh, yeah. So let me just check I've got you right. So John 16, that was what we read uh, earlier. In verse 23 it says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And you just... Okay. So it's a good question because it helps us understand what's going on here. So... um, So it relates a little bit, if I just go back to a few weeks ago, where we looked at this idea of following Jesus, that one of the observations we made was is that uh, after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, the New Testament doesn't talk about following Jesus. Um, It was like, what's going on? And it alerted us to a fact that following Jesus was a term that was used to refer to people who actually followed Jesus. Jesus says... I'm going over here, and they said, well, we'll follow you. We'll leave our boats, we'll come. I'm going to Jerusalem, we're going to follow you. So <coughs> and it alerts us that there is a kind of a timeline of what's going on. And so obviously, when they were following Jesus, they asked him. They asked him, can you explain what you mean? Um, can you explain the parable? Can you teach us to pray? You know, there was a, um, an engagement with Jesus that they asked him. But what this foreshadows is that, in this part of John, John's explained to his disciples that he is going away. Um, after his death, resurrection, he's not sticking around. He's going to ascend to be with the Father. So in that sense, you can't ask Jesus like the disciples asked Jesus, because he's not here. Um, but, and I think this is staggering, because... Bear in mind, Jesus is the one going to the cross. You might think the disciples would be comforting him, but it's staggering that Jesus is comforting the disciples and explaining to them, you don't need to be worried that I'm going away because the reason I'm going away is so that... Um, but I mean, it's not explored in this passage. is that um, in going to the Father, the Father and Son will send the Spirit and he will apply salvation that he has um, achieved at the cross and his resurrection to believers um, through faith. And part of that salvation is that we become born again, adopted as sons. And therefore his purpose is that we would no longer ask him, but ask the Father. So in other words, the reason that the Son came was to reconcile us to the Father that we would then pray to him as our father. So in many ways, this asking of Jesus was a peculiar thing while he was here, but now that he's gone, the, he's, um, his purpose is to bring us to the father, which I think is quite helpful because I think I remember when we looked through this, we had the whole thing about who do you pray to? Do you pray to the father? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray to the spirit? <clears throat> Maybe to a third, a third, a third, maybe just pray to God and let them work out, you know, who's going to, like, engage. 
But that Jesus leaves us no doubt that he has come to reconcile us to the Father, and that as adopted sons, we ask of the Father, and the Father gives to us. So we get caught up in that relationship as adopted sons. Does that? Cool. And so hence there in verse 23, the promise then becomes, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. So you see, that again, there's that asymmetry that we're asking the Father, but it's in the name of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done that we're able to speak to our Heavenly Father and know him as Father and ask him and that he will hear us and give. Cool. Anybody else? Hannah. Yeah, no, thank you. So just for the recording, so <clears throat> we've been thinking particularly about t- uh, prayers that are tied to God's purposes or promises. Uh, what about other sorts of prayer? For example, if one of us becomes sick, do we pray that God will heal them? Yeah, that sort of thing. So, um, so I'm going to just make a, a few comments and if Tommy want to say anything as well, by all means. So, I think, one thing I think is, I think one thing we can say is we can relax. and We can pray to our Heavenly Father about anything. Um, he knows what we're going through, what we're thinking, what our concerns are. So in that sense, it's, it's, the invitation is um, we can pray to him about um, anything and everything. That, that's the invitation as a son to a father. Um, but it's worth just making a few qualifications. So take healing, for example. We're not promised. God's not promised that if we're sick and then we pray that he will heal us. Um, in a way that he has promised to keep us to the end. And so I think that's a helpful word to distinguish as we think about the anxieties of life, which is often the thing, leaky roof, no money in the bank, all of those things... God hasn't made us specific promises about uh, what he will give us um, in a way that, you know, as we pray for the advance of the gospel in one way or another, that, I mean, that's, that, that's going to happen. You know, heaven's not going to be empty because along the way some bad decisions were made. So I think that's a helpful distinction. I think a lot of damage can be done whereas we think that God has made promises about the experiences that we're going to have and then 
God doesn't appear to answer the prayers in which we want. And then that brings into fundamental questions about who God is. Is he faithful? Does he keep his word? Can he be trusted? And if anything, with issues like suffering, the Bible has quite a lot to say about the purpose of suffering or how we're to think about suffering, what God's purposes might be in suffering. And so I think another comment will be is, and I certainly found this as I've grown up, is if you look at my, well, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you what my first prayer was as a Christian. I think I prayed it thousands of times um, for the first uh, maybe months of my Christian life. I prayed, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I remember first Christmas, my third year as an undergraduate, that's what I prayed. Then, some of you have heard this before, January, I went to my first Bible study, I went back to um, uh, Ebbs, and the guy who led it, he said, let's pray, and he opened up with Heavenly Father, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, wow, so you are a Heavenly Father. Is that, is that how I pray? And so, you know, even those early doors, as I'm getting to know God better, I'm learning. And so I think that never really stops, that as you grow your priorities are more and more kingdom-focused. Uh, it's less... Um, well, and I think the priorities, because these things still happen, you know, um, we, we do have to navigate all of those living in a fallen world and all the anxieties that come with that. But I think maturity brings a perspective which helps us to navigate those things, in many ways becomes, lifts our horizons, so we're not just, okay, I've got this pain, this pain, this pain, this pain, this ache, and it just becomes a list of ailments, but that actually as we get to know God better, there's a, there's a purposes beyond those imme- uh, uh, um, uh, these problems. And the other thing is, is that these problems, you know, they... Yeah, I'm going to waffle, so I'm going to stop there. Tom, do you want to? Cool. Is that does that sort of that sort of help? So um, yeah, cool. Yes, Michael. Thank you. Time for another one. All done. Cool. All right, let's leave it there. We're going to sing another song in Christ alone.